This is the fifth Sunday of Easter, and we continue in the fifth Sunday of Easter reading from the book of Acts, from uh, the first epistle of Peter, and from John's gospel. And this morning I want to preach about the reading from first Peter and the gospel, which has the famous line, in my father's house are many dwelling places. And uh, I'd like to talk about what that might mean and some other things in the gospel. But uh, first to s- speak a bit about First Peter and w- what is Peter's driving at in the, in the letter this morning and how he's talking about it because we have the concept of something called uh, the priesthood of all believers, which is an important doctrine. Uh, and I want to say a little bit about how we might understand that. Uh, First Peter was probably written about 68 A.D., just before he was martyred. Some uh, put it later than the date that he was martyred, so that calls into question the authorship issue. But um, it's not uh, completely irresponsible to suggest that it was written in about 68. Second Peter, on the other hand, is another matter, and uh, that's much, much later so I want to talk about what this, this uh, epistle is. I've said some of this before. First um, Peter is probably a baptismal homily, or in, in it is, contains a baptismal homily. So the substance of this epistle would be something that would have been preached at the celebration of baptism or an exhortation uh, of, about what occurs My New Testament professor, O.C. Edwards, said we always have to remember uh, that the sermon is the apostolic commentary on the Holy Scriptures. And so this is a perfect example of what that is in the biblical witness. In any case, Peter is talking about uh, being a royal priesthood the processes that are involved in being incorporated into the body of Christ. So he sort of speaks about the process of entering and being uh, immature, not ready for solid food. And as you persist on the journey, you become more mature and more able to understand uh, what you should be doing and how you understand uh, your role in communicating the Christian, Christian message to other people. And what does it mean to do that, to commend the gospel, your greatest place of safety and assurance to other people? But in this particular section, we have uh, the issue of something called the priesthood of all believers. So I thought I'd give you a breathless tour of this idea of the priesthood of all believers. This passage in 1 Peter was what Martin Luther used as the centerpiece of the understanding, the reformed understanding of the priesthood of all believers and what it means. And actually, you can read this in a way as an affirmation or recovery of the primitive church's understanding of what the priesthood of all believers is. So to put it in simple terms, Uh, With the renewal in the liturgy of the church and the emphasis on baptism again, uh, we have come to realize that baptism is everybody's ordination. So we become now part of the priesthood of all believers. 
Martin Luther was using uh, this passage as a polemic. Dr. Reginald Fuller says this in his commentary, a polemic or a reaction against certain medieval doctrines of what has been refer was referred to when I was in seminary, the ministerial priesthood. Ernest and I are part of the ministerial priesthood, as distinct from the royal priesthood that is being talked about by Peter. But the issue here is, what is a polemic, by the way? I just say those things and people say, I don't know what he's talking about here. An aggressive attack on or refutation of the opinions or principles of another. So a lot of polemic flying around in the public discourse these days, and there always has been, right? So that's what, uh, and Luther never, ever stepped away from being polemical. <laughs> that, it was not, not something that he did. But what we need to distinguish is, is this. Uh, both are necessary, and it is important for us to emphasize uh, the priesthood of all believers, because all of us exercise ministry in the life of the church. And one of the things that Luther was upset about, and rightly so, and it still continues uh, in, in churches, particularly liturgical churches, where we have clericalized uh, everything that we do to the point where uh, we have uh, lost sight of what uh, was meant when Peter spoke of the priesthood of all believers, uh, even though uh, he attached to him is a view of who he is and what he did that, that is very um, ministerial priesthoodish in some ways. There's no doubt, of, no doubt about that. But the difference that is being distinguished here is between the cultic priesthood and the ethical priesthood. And everybody's got to practice the ethical priesthood and be a transparency and a reflection of God's grace and love to the world. And the clergy are not the only people doing ministry. And the clergy are not the ones who are supposed to be uh, bringing the kingdom in. We have a particular function within the body of Christ. So it's important to uh, understand that. Uh, Ernest lent me a book, i got to give it back to him, by Gary Wills on why priests. Uh, my own p uh, view of that book is that it is a polemic against the priesthood. <laughs> but much of what he identifies there is the acts that he's grinding as a Roman Catholic with regard to the way the priesthood had evolved over time. So, uh, and many of the things that he says are uh, very, very opposite, very appropriate for what, what he's doing with that. But uh, it's important that we understand that we're part of the um, priesthood of all believers. So when you think about that, uh, that makes all of us uh, have great responsibilities and, and uh, opportunities. And that's why we read this during Easter, because it connects to baptism, one of the f parts of the fourfold shape, and also gives us an understanding of, of uh, the plural ways in which within the body of Christ, the royal priesthood is expressed. And that's what this is about. So John, in chapter 14, there's, uh, from about the end of chapter 13 through uh, the end of chapter 17, we have something called, in John's gospel, the farewell discourse. 
Jesus is saying a long goodbye to uh, his, uh, the apostles and the disciples, and he's speaking about a variety of things in terms of how he understands who he is, uh, who they are, and what's ahead, and how we ought to understand that. So in the reading today, there are three things. A promise of an abiding place with God, a sure and clear way to God, and the power to sustain the believing community. So the first one, a promise of an abiding place with God, has to do with, in my Father's house are many dwelling places. Those of you who've been around uh, the English church for any amount of time know that in the authorized version, that passage says, in my Father's house are many mansions. So people would say, I like that better. It just has a better sound. And we've been saying it for, you know, since 1611. We've been reading that. But the fact is that uh, the new translation is better. And it's better because the language is, original language says that. And it's also more consistent with what the Bible says about where we go when we die and how we understand what that means. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. So I've said this a number of times recently that um, if you go to England and you go into a country parish church into the cemetery, you'll see gravestones that were uh, carved, let's say, from uh, the end of the 17th century through about uh, the last quarter of the 18th century. And the gravestone would say something like, David Brewer, gone, but will return. <laughs> and after that, we began now to get the gravestones, David Brewer, gone home. Right? We're going somewhere for eternity where we're going to be with God. Well, the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that everybody's going to be res resurrected again and we're all going to be together. When? I don't know. But that's what it says. And so we have to see, well, when it says, in my father's house are many mansions, it means that people who die go and are safe with Christ in God. So if you worry about somebody you love who died, you can be assured that they're safe in God's space. But they're not going to be there forever. We're going to be in some way reunited with them and understand that in my father's house are many dwelling places. The word dwelling place is like we're at a bed and breakfast. It's a place where you're staying for a while or a hotel or a residence inn. Right? It's not zoom, now I'm there forever, you know, like the lady-in-waiting, uh, Queen Victoria's lady-in-waiting who's in the carriage on a ride with her, and he said, oh, she said, oh, ma'am, isn't it comforting to know that when we die, we shall be in the bosom of Abraham. 
And Queen Victoria said, I will not be in the bosom of Abraham. <laughs> Apparently that was a little too. <laughs> no, not me. I don't want to be there. Now, the other piece, so that's, that's what I'm saying about that section. In my father's house are many dwelling places. It also is a testimony of what we come to next in the reading about I am the way and the truth and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. So the idea of many dwelling places can also mean uh, a plural understanding of what God's space is like. Who's there? Right? And who is Jesus talking about when he said that nobody comes to the Father except through me? What group is he talking or addressing that he, could, he would say it doesn't come to the Father? Well, Muhammad hadn't even been born yet. We didn't have the Quran. We didn't have Islam. We had Buddha. We had all the... Uh, it, we all had what, what uh, Western people, colonial people call Hinduism. We had Judaism. We had a whole bunch of sects around Christianity at the time of the writing of John's Gospel that had particular views about who Jesus was. Like one of them was that he was like a, a, a Surat painting, a pointillist painting. He wasn't really here. You could put your hand through him. It's called docetism. There were Gnostics who had a particular view about how the world was created and all of this business. And I expect that uh, that may be the primary audience that he's speaking to about this. That the understanding that we get from John's Gospel about the nature of Christianity doesn't fit that. It's not that people are being cast into outer darkness, but uh, the way in which he explicates who he is and what the role of the Christian faith in life is, is the way that we now understand uh, for Christian people uh, that we proceed. You know, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Well, for me, he is. Now, that may not be true for other people. And I read, I'm going to read it again last week from Dr. McQuarrie on the uniqueness of Jesus Christ and how it might be a better way to think about that. I would have to say that the word unique is not helpful in discussing the place of Jesus Christ. Not only Jesus Christ, but every person is unique. And therefore, so is Muhammad and so is Gautama Buddha. In place of the words rejected, unique, final, absolute, I shall use the expression definitive for Jesus Christ as understood in Christian faith. He is definitive in the sense that for Christians he defines in normative fashion both the nature of humanity, which he has brought to a new level, and the nature of God, for the divine word expressive being has found its fullest expression in him. This is an affirmation of faith made from within history and not an attempt to pronounce from some vantage point above history. As such, it is content to make an affirmation about Christ and to refrain from negative judgments concerning the truths of other faiths. It recognizes that while Christ possesses fullness and a definitive status, our apprehension of that fullness is always imperfect. 
So what he's saying is he's bringing the conversation to uh, the plural understanding of the great faith traditions, right? Which I think was more localized when this gospel was written and probably was an in-house issue with Christian people who had plural views about who Jesus was and what we're supposed to do and what was the nature of the world and the cosmos and how God made it and all of those sorts of things. So when we say that, it may mean uh, saying I am the way and the truth and the life could be something now that we, as 21st century Christians, nuance slightly. Maybe that's what I should say. So finally, the last of the three points is the power to sustain the believing community. I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and in fact will do greater works than these. Uh, the presiding bishop before, just before Catherine Jefford Shorey, Frank Griswold, uh, had a, I think his favorite biblical passage was from John's Gospel elsewhere, where it says, I have many more things to say to you now, but you cannot bear them. So where are we going to get them? Are we going to get them from some revelation from without that comes in and gives it to us? Or do we get those things from uh, the intentional practice of our religion and understanding in a deeper and fuller sense the work of the Spirit of God in the hearts of all faithful people? That we come to believe and know through the processes of God at work in us and in the community of faith the practical wisdom that we have learned and have had shared with us from others and how we understand what that means. So if we believe, or the New Testament church believed that Jesus was the fulfillment of humanity, and more to the point, certainly in John's gospel, that we participate in this as we live and deepen our understanding in a fuller and deeper way so we can do things that we didn't think we could do before. Think about your own life and looking back on it, have you, re you realized now that there are things that you've learned that you didn't know before? Sometimes I'm so embarrassed about the way I behaved when I was a younger man, I, almost, I don't know why, I can't come out of my room. <laughs> you know, you feel like good grief. You know, I was a fool. So those are things, those are things that uh, we, we learn about that, and that may be part of those things uh, that weren't said because we couldn't bear them then, but we can bear them now because we have the internal strength and self-regulation to be able, first of all, to understand that kind of criticism, but also to uh, understand more deeply and fully how to be a better human being. So this, reason, this uh, week, give thanks for being part of the royal priesthood. Give uh, thanks or ask God to help you be part of that priesthood in the world, to be able to commend your greatest place of safety and assurance to other people, both by your personal example and by your generosity of spirit in relationship. And know, too, that you have a dwelling place that is waiting for you with God as we move forward, and that he is the definitive focus of the divine presence, 
and also that you're now prepared to follow him on the way and to do even greater works than he did. Amen.